everybody. Welcome to another All the WrestleManias. I'm your co-host, Tim Hackman. And I'm Rich Sigwald. We're excited to be back in the studio. We're wishing you all a happy Thanksgiving and a happy Black Friday. We hope you enjoyed your turkey day if you're in the U.S. Uh, we also hope you enjoyed our recent episodes on Halloween Havoc from the WCW and our WrestleMania 25 episode with guest podcast host Dr. Jess. Uh, those were a lot of fun to record, and we hope you uh, had a good time listening to them as well. We've got another holiday episode coming your way since it's Thanksgiving and the traditional uh, time for the Survivor Series to happen, and we thought we'd take a look back at a really famous one, the Survivor Series 1997 from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. But first, we thought we'd talk a little bit about some recent wrestling that we've been to. Rich and I both had a chance to go see AEW live just about a week apart from each other and maybe four or five hours apart from each other on the east coast uh i saw them for a uh, wednesday night dynamite show here in norfolk virginia and rich saw them outside of baltimore also for a dynamite show the following week right yeah 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 november 2nd yeah they were they were a good time i it's this is our let's see third this is my third i think yeah, I think combined, it's, it, both of us have now been to three AEW shows. And as I was telling you right before we started this, that there's something that gets lost in translation between their being at the live show and watching their product on television. I don't know what it is. I thoroughly enjoy going to the show, though this show that I went to definitely had some issues in it where like everybody was just kind of like, what? what happened? This doesn't make sense. Who's that guy? I don't get it kind of moments. And it was very audible through the crowd, but it was still such an enjoyable experience to watch wrestling live. But then if you watch it on television as at least AEW television, for some reason, it just, there's something grating about it. There's something kind of dull about it. I don't know if it's just like they don't snap from segment to segment fast enough. I don't know if it's Excalibur, like feeling like a drill into my forehead and like just like machine gun, rapid dropping, ridiculous move names. I don't know what exactly it is, but there's something that go out of my way to make sure that I go to an AEW show that is close to me. But I don't really make the effort to try and watch it on TV live every week. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. And I, right, I, I had a sort of similar experience. So maybe part of it is the commercials, right? You, you miss the, uh, you don't have to, to put up with picture in picture. You just get to watch the match through the commercial. They do keep the live shows moving along pretty quickly. You know, it's not like a Monday Night Raw, uh, which I'm also going to see here in a few weeks in Norfolk. So please pray for me. But right at the the same at the same time, and the crowds are really into it. Ever this is again third one we've been to. Um, the crowd participation is great. Uh, they they chant at all the right things, and he, I feel I feel like even if you're not into the chanting, you kind of do get caught up in it a little bit. On TV, it annoys me. The crowd was very fired up at the Baltimore show that I went to. It was small but very energetic, and the guy sitting next to me, I'm pretty certain, still thinks it's all real. <laughs> it's real to him damn it and it was a lot of fun to sit next to someone with that kind of enthusiasm still about professional wrestling he was talking about he was getting into things like there's no way john moxley loses because he's got like this 60 and 4 record and like he's like really believing that the records matter and stuff like that that like wow you know it's 
it's uh it was a it was a great experience and then he just was clueless about some other things which was also kind of fun to get to just like talk wrestling with somebody a total stranger yeah who has uh maybe some different or some shared experiences with you um i had a similar time at uh, at norfolk here i was sitting next to uh, a guy young youngish guy i'd say he's probably in his and it's hard to i can't tell but i'd say he's probably in his late 30s um and his daughter who was maybe i don't know eight or ten um and uh he actually messaged me later because we exchanged business cards i gave him our podcast card turns out he's a local comedian he runs a little show out in virginia beach so we may do a little crossover episode with him one of these days but uh he said his his daughter is actually on the autism spectrum and she was like super hype like she, she doesn't necessarily do well with uh you know a lot of stimulation and a lot of crowds and stuff but but that night she was into it and she was having a great time. Um, so we were kind of, you know, kind of talking a little bit. I was asking her about her favorite. She really liked Orange Cassidy. She really liked um, Dan Housen. Um, she was, it was uh, fun to sort of, you know, watch vicariously through a, through a super hype little kid. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun to see that innocence and like focus that little kids can get into something like that. So. Um, and it's also good to see a new generation getting into yeah. professional wrestling, even if it's through someone like Orange Cassidy. I don't yeah. care. They're watching it and there's they're they're going to keep it going. Yeah. I mean, because at our show, she also saw, you know, FTR versus uh, Swerve and Keith Lee. She saw MJF promo. She saw some of the ladies doing their things. She saw, saw uh, Chris Jericho and Daniel Garcia versus Claudio and Wheeler and uh, Brian Danielson versus Sammy Guevara. So there was, you know, some real actual wrestling on the card as well. Um, you never know what's going to rub off, right? Right. And like at my show, these people got to, these kids got to see uh, Jeff Jarrett cut one of the best promos in AEW history. He's bringing the body bags. Yeah. Bringing the body bags. Him and his generation are coming come and teach these young whippersnappers what pro wrestling is all about and they're all going to line up and die one at a time it, it was a hot take it was a hot promo that moment definitely sucked me in and then i recounted to my friend how much i hate jeff jarrett to the point <laughs> to where when i saw him at celeb fest i walked up to him and asked him how much uh, it was for a photo op and he told me and i said no thanks and walked away <laughs> ouch i probably hurt his feelings i probably did and you know tough shit i hated uh, him as a kid i hate him now but he's a good heel and he's a good mind in professional wrestling yeah, and i, I hope agree aew takes full advantage of him being there yeah so the couple of moments for me that were really great i always like to see uh FTR, I will always uh, pop oh, for them. Yeah. Uh, there was an awesome MJF promo. There was also there was a moment in that Jericho and Claudio match where Claudio had Daniel Garcia on his shoulders and was doing the airplane swing with Jericho like at the same time. Mm. Um, dude's a freaking beast! Like that was yeah, that was even more impressive to see on on live than it would have been on TV. So, I mean, the rest of the show was whatever. It was what it was. I had probably a few too many beers, sort of like our Halloween Havoc episode. I got to enjoy Daddy Ass and his birthday <laughs> celebration. That oh, yeah, should... that was such a great segment. I loved it. Yeah, that dude should be champion. I'm sorry. I don't care. Like, I don't care that he's like 55 years old. The dude is the best worker and in the best shape in that company. And 
putting a, a belt on him for a little bit would definitely do some good there. Yeah, you could make worse decisions, and they have. I thought I think that would be great uh, for no other reason than he could like whoop everybody's ass there like for real, like, right? Because he's just a fucking tough guy. So anyway, we had a good time. Wanted to share a little bit about that with you. Any other uh, wrestling stuff you want to talk about before we get into the Survivor Series? Mm, I don't think so. I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to dive into this. I'm not even, you know, uh, I'm not even going to probably when we go to post this episode, call it the Survivor Series '97 episode. We all know what this episode is really going to be called. Yeah, the Montreal Screw Job. That's this is what it is. Uh, and to non-wrestling folks, you tell them the Montreal screw job and they're like, is that a sex position? Is that, what is, what is that? Do you, do you like tickle something and talk French to me? I don't, mm-hmm. but, uh, that's, uh, that's what this show is. And that's probably mostly what this, this episode is going to be about because, Oh boy. I mean, here we are like, what is it? The 20, 25th anniversary of this show. And this week. Yeah, we're this week still, the... yeah, we're still talking about it. It's still controversial. It still makes people angry. It's possibly arguably the best finish ever of a wrestling match. Most controversial, most edgy. And is it real? Was it real? We'll discuss that some when we, when we get what, to the match. What is real? Right. What is, is real that, in professional wrestling anyway? Does anyone know? No, it really it's a super important moment. <laughs> Rich Rich went full Oliver Stone this week watching this uh I think he he rewound that, you know, back into the left, back. Yeah, I mean left. that that segment is the Zapruder film of professional wrestling and it's the Zapruder film of the Attitude Era and when Vince takes that loogie to the face from Brett, it is Back and to the left. <laughs> Back and to the left. Is there a second spitter? Mm. Is there? From the grassy knoll. <laughs> there probably is a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, eighteenth, three hundredth spitter involved in this just because they're in Montreal, Canada, you know, the same country that Bret Hart is from, even though he was raised a thousand miles away in Canada. It's that still his matter. home country, damn it. Yeah. They're they're a spitting people up there. They um they don't like something they spit on it. That's that's just a fact. I looked that up. It's in the CIA World Fact. Tuh. Yeah. Tuh. Jesuit Bisco Discotech. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, did you ever see that movie uh, Room Two Thirty Seven? No, I have not. It's a documentary about uh, all the various fan theories about the movie The Shining, and um, you know, so there's it, it's done in like four parts. One, they're they're all a little bit whacked out, and everybody is also completely convinced that their theory is the right one. So there's one that says that The Shining, Stanley Kubrick helped fake the moon landing, and The Shining is he left all these clues in The Shining to uh, you know to let us know. That's one. Uh, there's another theory about how the the whole movie is sort of a, a metaphor for the uh, Native American genocide, and that's another one. Um, anyway, and it's the whole the point of the film is how sort of fan culture can kind of like create its own reality. Um, mm. If you want to be sort of crass and say kind of crawls up its own ass or <laughs> like to an extent, yeah. And I, I feel like maybe the Montreal Screwjob could could do with treatment like that. You know, we could call it uh, November 9th, 1997, and just have uh, 
like 90 minutes, two hours of, of different fans kind of taking the film apart and talking about what they see. I'd watch that. Yeah. I mean, it's so the, the interesting thing about it, and we'll, we can talk more when we actually get cover the match because the match is fantastic itself. It is, it's so convenient that there was also a documentary about Bret Hart being filmed at the exact same time. Hmm. Like it's one of the most compelling periods of his career. And that documentary maker just happened to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to make a movie about Bret Hart now. Right. Sure. That's, sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you didn't know anything else was going to happen. Yeah. That documentary is called wrestling with shadows. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's well worth watching. It's great. It's sort of, uh, you know, goes into Brett's history and then it kind of picks up with him at this sort of crucial moment where he's, you know, reached the pinnacle in WWF and, um, thinking about his future and WCW is going strong and trying to lure him away. And he's trying to make it up his mind. And of course it culminates with, uh, Montreal screw job in the aftermath. So anyway, not to get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's let's the logistics here. Survivor Series ninety seven, Molson Center, Montreal, Quebec, Canada, November 9th, nineteen ninety seven. Attendance on this puppy is twenty thousand five hundred and ninety-three of the angriest, swearingest, spittingest Canadians you've ever seen. And tagline for this one is gang rules with a Z and no E. So it's edgy. Uh, we've got JR and Lawler on the commentary. Tito Santana's on the Spanish desk. Yes. Uh, yeah, I know. I was excited. One of the Rougeos, I think that was Jacques, right, is on the French commentary desk. Cause, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and this, the most of the card is the sort of typical Survivor Series eight-man tag matches. Uh, one person gets eliminated, and you could be down to a four-on-one or one-on-one or whatever. So that's sort of the, the main thing here. But there's a couple of other bangers on this card, so we'll yeah. – kind of go through and um see where we end up back to the crowd on this show man they're they nuts. are angry <laughs> and white like oh my god like i know it's canada uh but i don't know if uh we're going to reference another documentary either here that uh recent hbo documentary on woodstock 99 and it talks about how everything there is basically fueled by young white males being horribly angry about nothing that they have they have no reasons really to be angry at that point and yet they are and they basically destroy this festival and uh we're looking at a very similar situation here but instead of like trying to throw a nice peace and love festival uh vince mcmahon is just basically throwing gasoline on the fire and and encouraging it and, and pushing it further and further because um, we're coming into the Attitude Era. They actually say that the main event of this pay-per-view is the birth of the Attitude Era. Even debut the new uh, WWF Scratch logo that was used for the Attitude Era at the end of this show. And basically, you can you they give you... A, we don't even really need to do many sign alerts on this episode because most of the signs just can... can um, consists of name and is gay or is not gay or in some form of slur towards homosexuals on the sign. There are some other more creative signs 
And the other thing about the crowd is that this crowd is well-versed. The whole concept of Bret Hart going to WCW was like the worst kept secret in the universe. This was WWF still trying to keep kayfabe and keep, keep a curtain up, but everything was getting ruined by early internet rumor boards, staff leaking information onto the internet, thinking that not many people are looking at it, but it's like wrestling fans are nerds. They, they already have the internet. They're living on the internet at home, even though it's the late nineties. They're the ones that like their parents got a second phone line. They are early adopters. Right. Uh, so, uh, it was, it was already well known. And then, then, you know, WWF tried to roll with it a little bit, uh, that like, it's part of the storyline that this could possibly be Brett's last WWF match. If he loses it, that he's going to leave. If he, if Sean takes the belt from him, blah, 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 blah. And like, everybody already knows Brett signed a massive contract with WCW three years, $3 million a year contract. Vince could not come close to that. And so, yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's signs that say, have fun in WCW, Brett. There's signs that say, we'll miss you, Brett. There's signs that say, why wait, Brett, leave now. Yeah. <laughs> so there's some, there's some, we'll just, we'll just call it mixed feelings about Brett's uh, impending departure. So the, obviously the, yeah, the match is billed as, oh, this may be Brett's last match if he loses. Um, but the fans, the fans knew. Um, and if the ones who showed up who didn't know, I guarantee their uh, seatmates clued them in real goddamn quick. Yeah. Over a couple of Molson's probably. Well, it is the Molson Center, so it's flowing. <laughs> and you can tell it's flowing. I don't want to offend our neighbors to the north, but Molson is not good beer. Um I'd rather Labat Labatt's is, is a little more tolerable to me. But I don't want to cause an international incident, so we'll just move on. I don't know what I'm gonna have a whole lot to say about some of these matches, but we'll I'll read them off nonetheless. Uh the first one is the new Blackjacks. So that's Blackjack Wyndham, aka Barry Wyndham, and Blackjack Bradshaw, uh, aka Bradshaw. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the headbangers, Mosh and Thrash, versus the New Age Outlaws, which is Road Dog and Billy Gunn, and the Godwins, Phineas I and Henry O. Godwin. Um, for a typical Survivor Series elimination match, eight-man match. I don't know how the New Age Outlaws and the uh, hog farming Godwins got put together. Um, I, that's uh, probably a, a beer summit I would love to have uh, sat in on, but uh, here they are nonetheless. Um, I didn't realize or remember that uh, that Barry Windham hung around in uh, WWF this long. Or I'm assuming he went away and came back. So as a fan at that time period, I didn't know who the original Blackjacks were. Right. So I don't, I, it's an interesting thing that was happening at this time still in WWF. Like they had like the new Midnight Express also like roll up and they had the new Blackjacks. Like they, these callbacks to older wrestling and it was just, it just wasn't working anymore. Like people had moved on. The audience is younger but they're using them as callbacks and like, you know, so it was like, yeah, that was interesting that, you know, Barry Windham is, is the son of blackjack Mulligan and blah, 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 blah. Okay, great. But I don't understand. Like, why couldn't they just be the ass kickers? Like that's a much better, (laughs) this is a much better name for who they are is, is the ass kickers. True. You know, Billy Gunn and the road dog come on down to the ring uh, with the Godwins in their uh, Confederate garb. Uh, it's lovely and you can tell their heels because they're wearing confederates but you know they're they're in canada canada doesn't know canada doesn't really give a shit 
I just loved Road Dog hitting everybody immediately at the show starts. Uh, hello, all you maple leaf loving freaks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They do love maple leaves up there. That's a fact. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> maple leaves and uh, and healthcare. That's that's what they're into. Um, yeah, the New Age Outlaws and the Godwins take this one. I don't know, fifteen minutes, probably a little too long, but everybody's still getting to their seats, so just like stretch it out, let them get their beers. Yeah, there was a uh, it, the only real note of a move that I thought was interesting was uh, Billy Gunn countering Mosh's uh, bulldog from the top rope, which basically just turned into pancaking him off the mat, <laughs> uh, and then getting the pin, and then also uh, Bradshaw does a really impressive gut wrench power bomb on one of the Godwins. I think it was that was uh, I was like, oh Jesus, that's a big man, and you're flipping him around like that. Ooh. Yeah, actually, all of these uh, all these Survivor Series matches are. Just a whole bunch of sides of beef. Like, yeah, <laughs> all of them are like just massive people in all of these matches. I also thought it was interesting that uh, Jr. Jr. is still in like his like early commentary style, to where he's like making references to like people's middle schools and their college majors and their and and old old wrestling from the territory. So he's still making references that like JBL is thought to remind a lot of people of Stan Hansen. Like that's a like who at home is, is <laughs> what audience are you talking to right now? Like this is, are you still talking to like the next generation fans that are actually people that are holdovers from like Hulk Hogan's era? Or are you talking to the younger folks that are all in on Shawn Michaels and, and the, the lot, like what are you like? They can't decide. And JR's commentary is still uh, a holdover to, to the old stuff. I don't know. Maybe it's for like uh, people's dads, right? Like you're in the nineties, you're a teenager, you're watching with your dad and your dad's like, Oh, I remember Stan Hansen. Yeah. Yeah. He does look like him. Yeah. I don't know. And then, uh, so right after this match, we do get uh, a sign reminding us, uh, letting us know that the undertaker is not a homo. Okay, Um, good. So that has been set straight. We can check undertaker off of that list. (laughs) That would be a good, we could make a list for the whole show actually. And just like, just see if we can figure out who's gay and who's not based on their <laughs> fan signs. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe it's really important to them up there. That's, I just, I just feel like there was just, just a lot of free floating homophobia in the nineties and for no apparent reason. It's the fragile angle, angry white males. That's, yeah. that's what it is. The, the, the worst thing that could ever be thought of you is that you're possibly homosexual. Ugh, perish the thought. I know. Good and lord. Those folks are still around, still voting, unfortunately. All right. Match number two, more slides of sides of beef. Uh there's the Truth Commission. Um and that is made up of the Jackal, which is Don Callis, who's uh, still around. The mm. interrogator, who uh also wrestled previously as the Kurgan. You may know him from some movies. He's been in he's been in a bunch yeah. of stuff actually. He's in Dead one of the Deadpool movies. He was in uh three hundred. Um there was something else I just saw him in recently. Um oh he was in the Sherlock Holmes. Anyway, you you'll recognize that guy instantly. He's kind of unforgettable. Uh Sniper, and that is Luke Poirier, um, and Recon, who is Barry Buchanan, a.k.a. Bull Buchanan, who we've seen in some of WrestleManias. There's there's layers, man. And they are wrestling the Disciples of Apocalypse, which is a 
uh, motorcycle gang. Another crush gimmick. Yeah, another crush gimmick. That's crush. Change, which is Brian Harris, a.k.a. Fake Undertaker, 8-Ball and Skull. And 8-Ball and Skull are actually uh, Donald and Ronald Harris. Good old Don and Ron. Donnie and Ronnie. Um, yeah. Combined weight of everyone in the ring, 8,000 pounds, I think. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Yeah. the, the uh, They refer to Don Callis as David Koresh-like. <laughs> Too like soon. Cutting, cutting Too edge soon. ripped from the headlines here. Whew. Um yeah, and it's funny. I took a note that I can barely tell any of these guys apart, and then yeah. Jr. says, "I can't tell them apart. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not just me, not just yeah, me. Someone that funny. watches wrestling professionally and like can't tell these guys apart either." So that's um, too funny. Yeah, I think they like eliminated Don Callis very quickly so that he could just go over and get on commentary immediately. Like yes. It felt like that that was the actual plan for him. Is this him to be a talker? And like, so they just whip his ass real quick, get him out, even though he's the leader of the team. I really really don't understand the the riff on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission from South Africa. You know, that was about setting right, you know, the wrongs of apartheid. Here you just have four gigantic white dudes in military gear. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how that's, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, they look like Imperium. Like Imperium is just a rehash of these guys, but Imperium's better slightly. Yeah. And one of the things that happens in Survivor Series matches happened in this one, and it always has baffled me, is that instead of breaking up the pin, the interrogator watches his partner get pinned. I don't remember which one it was. It was Sniper. And then he runs in and beats up Crush and pins him to get the win for the Truth Commission. So, like... You could have just broken up the pin <laughs> and like not just be the only one to win. And so, yeah. and this happens again in several of the other matches too, where they, lo- they watch their partner get pinned so that they can come in to an advantage. Like I, I don't know if like, it's a real advantage, uh, like being able to jump someone coming out of a pin over still having a teammate on your team. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, it's a little silly. Yeah, the interrogator is the sole survivor of that one. They gets the win for the Truth Commission. So now, now apartheid has been set right um, because clearly it was the biker gangs that were the the primary um, yeah, perpetrators that bike, there. I don't know. They, the disciples of Apocalypse got like a huge pop when they came out too. They yeah. were they were pretty over with that crowd at least, um, but. It's very clear that this match really only existed so that they could make the interrogator look really good and push him more. But it's not going to work out. No. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. He doesn't go. He doesn't go very far after that. Um, there's a there's a little uh, video package uh, talking about Steve Blackman's introduction to the WWE WWF universe. Uh, I remember this very well, actually, is that yeah. her show in Hershey, PA. Um, somebody's beating up somebody at Vader's in the ring and uh, a fan quote unquote uh, jumps in the ring and just starts handing out roundhouse kicks. Uh, and, and, you know, of course the announcer's like, Oh, that fan, look at the fan. He's just, he's cleaning house. And then um, they, they start attacking him and Vader sort of like lays on top of him to protect him. Uh, I, I remember this as clear as day. And then, yeah. they, you know, of course, ex- escort him out and state police takes him out and all that stuff. And like, of course, that fan is Steve Blackman. Um, who, you know, just happened to be hanging around with his karate pants that day. Just right. Just happens know, to be ready to go as, uh, as you do. Um, so I'm a Steve Blackman fan. I'll represent yeah. cause I, uh, I appreciate that he was from Pennsylvania. Like me, I always liked his martial arts pants. 
I liked the uh, I like just liked his whole look and his his vibe. He reminded he me of. He always looked uh, nervous. I always yeah. that. like he looked ready and nervous to strike, like just ready to go. Uh, yeah. And then there's there's also like this. Is this where the this was a segment where they go backstage, right? And like uh, Stone Cold is sitting like angrily in a chair while there's a nerd at a computer running the chat room and stone cold is telling him what the, what the type. Yeah. And like, and then it just, and then uh Kevin Kelly, I think it is, is on the mic there back there and picks up what stone cold is saying. And it's some, some like stone cold, don't care. I'm going to kick his ass, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, and then he's like, AOL keyword superstars. It's <laughs> <laughs> really funny. The nineties, man, the nineties are yeah. fucking weird. Yeah, and then uh, we have a sign here: uh, Domino's Pizza sucks. So, hmm. um, sorry, Domino's, if you're going to sponsor us. Sorry, there's a sign that says you suck, and so therefore we have to report on it. I heard that Domino's Pizza is not gay. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 Noid that's still out there. He might be. Yeah. He's he hasn't gone public yet. So we need to call up the '90s crowd from Montreal and get him to weigh in on that one so yeah so uh so so the vader uh apparently this is all storyline of course uh bails steve blackman out of jail and asks commissioner slaughter if he can join the wwf because that's that's the way these things work that's um, how you do it so he gets thrown in with uh gold dust vader mark marrow and sable um which is there that's that's team usa for some reason um so an obese monster in a S&M mask, a transsexual golden weirdo, a karate guy, and whatever the hell, Mar- an ex-boxer with his Yeah, Mark wife. Marrow is like a boxer. Yeah, that's Team USA. I mean, I think that, that represents us pretty well. Versus yeah, that's pretty good. Team Canada, British Bulldog, Jim Neidhart, Doug Furness, Phil LaFon. And so this is this is part of that whole uh, throwing gas on the fire with uh, USA versus Canada thing. Yeah, and only one of them is Canadian. <laughs> Neidhart, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> he's not. No, he's not. Really? Uh, it's Lafon. Lafon's the only one on that team that's Canadian. Well, shit. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, Neidhart is married to a Canadian. Yeah. And relocated up there, but I believe he's from Las Vegas. Canadian by marriage. Oh, um, born in California, says. Oh, there we go. He played for the Oakland Raiders and Dallas Cowboys. Well, these are things. Yeah, this is, see, this is a very educational This post. is the things you learn when you when you decide to do research while recording. Yeah. Doug Furness is from Oklahoma. Davy Boy, of course, is British, but again, also married to a Canadian. Married to one of Brett's sisters, right? Right. Um, so, I mean, it's the close enough Canadians versus the what the fuck USA. Um, so there, there's a couple of like good matchups in here that I would have actually, I mean, I know it's a Survivor Series, that's what you get, but I would have preferred to see like British Bulldog versus Vader just straight up. Yeah. Or maybe British Bulldog and Neidhart versus Vader and I don't know, somebody else. And there's a couple of like legit terrifying moments um mm-hmm. when when vader and davy especially get in there together yeah um, there's a really good u.s sucks chant when steve blackman comes in i appreciated that yeah uh team usa uses the theme music that eventually becomes kurt angle's music mm-hmm. and then that music also is used for sergeant slaughter at one point and is also used for the patriot when 
Wow. When he's a guy around. Um, and Team Canada comes out the Bret Hart's theme, <laughs> which is cheap, cheap, good heat. It's cheap, uh, you know. Um, yeah. And it was. It, this is an interesting match because it's hard to tell who's face and who's heel. And, and at this time, this is something that uh, Brett is actually using to his advantage. He's trying to be heel in the U.S. and face in Canada. Um, and he's doing a pretty good job of it. And it's pretty it's it's an interesting concept to where like geographically the term wherever you are geographically determines whether you're a good guy or bad guy. That's really cool. And yeah. it's happening in this match, too, because if this match was just a uh, hundred miles or so south in in like Buffalo or something like that, Team USA would be face barely and <laughs> Team Canada would definitely be heels. They're all heels. I kind of like this match. I it, it has all the classic Survivor Series things. They have the breakdown. They have the countouts. Uh, Blackman gets counted out because he doesn't know the rules of wrestling yet. Blah blah blah. Right. He doesn't. He doesn't know. Sure. <laughs> um, and he's like only he, been in for two weeks, and some of that time he was in jail. So just saying. Yeah, but he's watched wrestling before, right? Like he's. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he he. You don't buy tickets to Monday Night Raw in Hershey, Pennsylvania, if you haven't watched wrestling before. <laughs> so, like, every everyone really sells big time to LaFon in this match, too. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, everybody was putting him over. Just, like, going down, taking his hits. Like, he, Vader, like, goes down to him. And um, it was really weird to me. And then... Also, they're like Furnace, too. They're like Vader gives up a, a belly to belly suplex to Furnace. Like, like it doesn't look right. And then like JR has to step in on commentary and be like, well, Furnace was a world class power lifter before he was a wrestler, just so that yeah. you can comprehend the fact that he was able to pick up Vader like that. This was a this was a, a weird match. And then you have the classic of Gold Dust walking out instead of participating. And he has an FU painted on his face. <laughs> Uh, I, I guess that wasn't a, an indicator to the rest of his team, <laughs> I guess. But apparently he had told everybody that it stood for forever unchained. Uh, sure. Sure. Sure, sure did. Uh, yeah, and then in another, another instance, Bulldog watches his teammate get pinned by Vader. And then as Vader's getting up, Bulldog sneaks into the ring with the ring bell. Clocks Vader in the back of the head, tosses the bell out, and then uh, gets the win. And I don't understand how the ring bell being used as a weapon doesn't doesn't occur to the ref that like, oh, he indicates for the bell to be rung to end the match. Oh, the timekeeper can't ring it. I wonder where it is. Oh, it's right there next to Davy Boy pinning Vader. So I don't I don't get it. <laughs> how does that not? We have lots of sketchy rules through this whole show. Like, how was that not a disqualification? It's pretty obvious if the ref had an, like an IQ over sixty. So, <laughs> my theory is that uh, anytime you get like eight people in a ring, like all the rules just go out the window. Like, because because who can keep track, really? You know, just in this time period, if there's more than one person in the ring, they throw out <laughs> all the rules. Well, you know, it's like AEW now, right? So, um, yeah, the winner of that one is uh, Team Canada because they're in Canada. Um, so that's exciting. Canada the likes crowd it. crowd goes apeshit. Yeah, that crowd is, whew, that's a hot one. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just really glad that um, 
uh, Steve Blackman uh, jumped in the ring in, in, <laughs> so that he could be added to the roster like that. The next match is a really good one. I, I was uh, kind of blown away, honestly. Uh, Kane with Paul Bearer versus Mankind. Um, so you've got the two freak shows of the league of the WWF. Um, there's an absolutely bananas promo from Mick. Oh my um, God. That is such a good promo. It's so good. He's just, he's just right. He's just over the edge. You know, he's, he's like, this guy is legit crazy. He's, it's all bets are off. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, it's something like some people ask me, how am I going to fight him? How am I going to fight a brick wall? Why would you fight a brick wall? It's like, well, I have to fight a brick wall. And I know I'm going to lose to the brick wall, but if I don't, the walls come down. Like he's <laughs> losing his mind. It's so it's good. Great. It's, it's so great. good. Why don't you go around the brick wall? I have to go through the brick wall. <laughs> so he's like talking to himself in this whole thing. And then he just ends with a very unsettling. Have a nice day. And like walks away. Oh man. And like, yeah. the, and before that, they set up a montage of Kane's debut, which is impressive and mm-hmm. awesome. It's very well done video package uh, because this is actually Kane's first match. Yeah. That's right. All the other times that you've seen him before this, he's just showing up and wrecking people's lives. He's, <laughs> he's not actually fighting uh or like officially in a match he's just showing up interfering beating the crap out of you and rolling out and leaving the lights all red this uh <laughs> this is a hot one they leave the red lights on for the entire match uh which kind of adds a little bit of atmosphere to it you know a sense that this is something's something's not quite right you know something's amiss um and they just uh it's just it's just pure violence really mankind puts up puts up a good fight but you know he's fighting a brick wall he doesn't really have a chance um what are you gonna do yeah this this is this is a a rough rough match and like at one point mankind starts pulling out his own hair to get motivation to hulk up that was a that was a good spot (laughs) uh and then um mankind is standing on the edge of the ring and kane like just like throat punches him to throw him through the announce table like oh god he goes flying and like i don't think tito santana was ready for him to hit the spanish announce table because like tito goes down and they're very concerned about tito you killed Uh, tito yeah bastard yeah it's bad uh this is this is a real rough match uh it's it's a classic mick foley match and um it's a hell of, of a in-ring debut for Kane here. I enjoyed this match quite a bit. The red light annoyed me just a little bit just because I was like, I felt like I was missing some of the action. Yeah, it's a little hard to see. Mick eventually takes a tombstone, and that's all she wrote for him. There's a classic uh, Kane sit-up spot in this one that was really good. Like, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of good stuff in there. I won't, We won't uh, ruin it for you. Uh, I recommend, of those stuff on this card so far, that's, that's the first one I'd say that's probably really worth watching. Yeah. That's, that's a match to like pay attention to is, is that match. Yeah. Back to another, uh, survivor series elimination match. This is Ken Shamrock. Ahmed Johnson, the Legion of doom, of course, Hawk and animal versus the nation of dominations. We've got the, the rock comma Mustafa, AKA Charles Godfather, Wright, AKA Papa Shango, AKA thousand other gimmicks over the years. 
uh, good old Farouk, Ron Simmons, and then of course, D'Lo Brown to round out the four. Um, this is a good one. Actually. I enjoyed this one a lot. Uh, it is a, is a, a chock full of studs in this match, man. Yeah. It's a, it reminded me of some of those old school NWA, uh, tag matches that we watched, you know, where it's like, like Dr. Death and, uh, the road warriors and just these massive dudes just whooping on each other. Um, cause probably D'Lo, well, Ken Shamrock is definitely the smallest guy in the mix here. And then probably D'Lo Brown after him. Um, yeah. so like <laughs> everyone is massive. Uh, everyone is like just laying it in. There's great Rocky sucks chance. Every time, uh, the rock tries to do anything. Um, there's, uh, this is, this one's a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed this one quite a bit. Yeah, I like the this match. Every every time I see a Ron Simmons match now, I think of that line from his uh, interview with Stone Cold, where he says, "Yeah, I I don't injure people, but if I gotta hurt them to make it look real, if I gotta punch you, you know, to make it look real, I'm gonna I'm gonna punch you, and make it look good." <laughs> and like that's all I can all I could hear and all I could see through this whole match. Every single one of his things, man. And same with the Legion of Doom. They were they were working a little snug. And Ken Shamrock was. And Ahmed Johnson was taking some real stuff. Uh, that was good. And like JR is referencing Ron Simmons' like real life background. So that was interesting. Like that JR is 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 uh breaking kayfabe a little bit, like talking about the real life of the of these guys. And this match, you see some early rock coming through especially in ring tactics. So uh, Rocky uses the rock bottom on Hawk and eliminates Hawk that way. Uh, later in the match, Rock does uh, does the people's elbow. Yeah, good promo before the match too. Yeah. So classic rock stuff coming out there. Yeah, that uh, this is sort of a, a tr- key transitional period for him, you know, when they sort of tried to push him a little too early with uh, Rocky Maivia and then into the nation domination and then, he sort of comes out the other side of this as as the rock and as that kind of fully formed character that we know. Man, this match has a lot of good stuff in it. You got um at one point you can see Ron Simmons actually punching Ahmed Johnson repeatedly in the ear. Like he's just landing ear shots. And it's like, oh God, that's gotta hurt. I can't. Uh and then like Ahmed takes a Pearl River plunge from from Ahmed Johnson and gets eliminated, but Farouk just isn't leaving. <laughs> Like he doesn't believe that he's been eliminated. Just uh, crazy. And there, there's a sound glitch that happens during the match. Did you hear it? Uh, um, like the route, a loud squeal went through yeah. the PA system and the, and yeah. JR covers it saying that that was Kane leaving the building. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. It's like way to think on your feet, JR. Yeah. Good job. He's a, he's a trip. No, that was great. So uh, this comes down to, um, let's see what happens here. Uh, oh, Ken Shamrock puts a, ankle lock on um on rock right and he gets a tap out yeah and at some point billy gunn and the road dog show up with the legion of dunes shoulder pads um yeah. and um and then road dog throws powder in animal's face and animal gets counted out um and then like ken shamrock has someone else in an ankle lock and like uh, J- uh the king says this is wrestling you don't win by tapping out and jr responds the hell you don't <laughs> It's literally in the rules. Yeah. And this has a very similar ending to uh, the Team USA versus Team Canada, where The Rock watches uh, his teammate get pinned. Mm -hmm. 
And then as, as the pin is happening, Rock sneaks into the ring this time with a steel chair and blasts Ken Shamrock in the back. Uh, but this time it doesn't win the match. Uh, Ken Shamrock, he can take a chair shot, <laughs> um, but he eats a DDT from the rock and he eats a pure, uh, people's elbow. And then, uh, but then like the rock is like overselling Shamrock's punches at the same time through this bit, which is kind of weird. And like, I actually noted that I felt like Ken Shamrock was a better wrestler than the rock at this point. Yeah, I could see that more He's convincing dumb. of a ring presence. Ken Shamrock looked great here. I, I yeah. like him a lot. I still like him a lot. Yeah. Um, but he looks, yeah, he looks serious. He's a serious athlete. He's there to hurt people. I, I like everything about his presentation. Um, and we were watching, I was watching this with my wife and, um, I'm like, Oh, that's, you know, that's, that's not a chair shot from the rock to Ken Shamrock. And she's like, what yeah. are you talking about? I'm like, well, let me, let me just Google this for YouTube for you. <laughs> and I pulled up, and I pulled up the chair shot, the chair shot, the chair shot that makes Ken Shamrock not remember his children or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you guys which know which one I'm talking about. Yeah. And in my opinion, I, I thought this was one of the best survivor series matches ever. Like the survivor series style matches, the four on four single elimination matches. I thought this was a really good one. Uh, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's just the right amount of chaos uh, and just the right amount of stiffness that like there's some real, real shit happening. Um, yeah. The, one of the best moments in this match uh, was uh, while the ref is distracted, D'Lo Brown spreads Ken Shamrock's legs and the rock jumps into the ring and punches Shamrock right in the dick. <laughs> right in the junk, yeah. Like, like it's, it's, it's very clear that it's a, that was a dick punch and that prompts the crowd to chant Rocky's gay. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, this crowd is obsessed. I know. <laughs> like, I don't think uh, punching someone in the dick makes you gay i don't i don't think that's i mean in some clubs maybe but maybe. i don't think i don't think that's what does it we'll ask our uh, lgbtq audience to to chime in on that one if that's a thing uh, right if someone actually, punched you in the dick would you think that they are gay <laughs> is that a pickup is that a legit pickup move is it uh email us sure. at all the wrestlemanias at gmail.com <laughs> you can find us on twitter at wrestlemania pod don't forget <laughs> I'm not entirely sure I want to know. No, uh, I don't think so either. I think maybe it's only a, only in Canada that that's considered a gay a gay thing. Maybe yeah, yeah. Everywhere else, it's just a, a mean thing to do to somebody. Yeah. There's another great sign here outside of the uh, handing down homosexual judgments uh, of uh, a mean gene three sixteen sign. Nice. I like that one. I, I fully support that one. Mean Gene 316 says, this is your WrestleMania report update, in my opinion. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> All right. Good match. Great match, actually, I would say. That's, that, one's, uh, that one's a keeper. So you can uh, fast forward this thing up through, um, up through the first three Survivor Series. Start with Kane and uh, Mankind. Watch this one. Stone Cold versus Owen Hart uh, with... British Bulldog Jim Neidhart and Furnace and Lafon in Owen's corner for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. You don't have to watch this one, but it's short enough that you might as well. Uh, of course, the backstory here being that Owen Hart pile-drived Stone Cold, not 
what three months prior at uh at summer slam right yeah. and just broke his damn neck that's a it's an ugly finish it was an unfortunate accident uh it wasn't anything necessarily that was on anybody's fault but stone cold being a fucking maniac that he is like i don't he just regrew his own neck in three months <laughs> by by sheer force of will yeah there's um, a video of him shooting own Hart's face that's been taped to a, a deer he's been shooting it with a bow <laughs> like if Owen was here right now i'd shoot him right in the goddamn face <laughs> And then he shoots the deer uh, and we get a replay of the pile driver over and over again. And then uh, Owen is wearing a shirt that says Owen 316 says, I just broke your neck. Oh, ouch. Um, yeah. I want one of those shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's, uh, he's back for revenge. Clearly they're, uh, they're going to get it on, but this is a real short match and I, and probably necessarily so. Um, yeah. Cause the, Dude had a broken neck three months ago. It's a little under, a little over four minutes actually. Uh, I mean, Stone Cold looks looks good. Like he's he's maybe moving a little more stiffly than you would uh, remember, um, but he's doing his Stone Cold thing. <laughs> the crowd is on Owen's side for the most part. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to break his neck again. Yeah, there's a there's a very audible break his neck break his neck chant happening through almost all of the match. The Owen then tries to get disqualified to the point to where he rings the bell himself <laughs> and the ref has to tell him, no, the match is not over. Uh, that was, that was pretty entertaining. Uh, but the ref was really letting things go in this match. There's a, there's a choking happening. There's a lot of this, like that's against the rules, man. What are you doing? Uh, yeah. kind of, kind of stuff happening here. Uh, and then there, there seemed to be a bit of a little bit of a botch near the end. I don't know what happened. There was like a weird like spin and then nothing comes out of it. And then Austin lands a stunner. Owen goes down one, two, three, uh, stone cold is now the new intercontinental champion. I don't know. This was a weird, this is a weird match. Like it really started hot and was entertaining and then it just was over. Yeah. It just kind of fizzles. Because you would think on paper, you see Owen Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. You're like, yes. Yeah. Yes. Sign me up. That's almost a co-main event. And it just it just isn't there. Yeah. And again, I don't think it's anybody's fault necessarily. I think, um, you know, just the physical condition. You almost have to do it to um, kind of blow that feud off, right? Like you can't yeah. just let him break a guy's neck and uh, and just walk away. <laughs> Especially not if you're Stone Cold and want to keep any credibility. Um but at the same time, you know, you, you get what you get. So I think the uh, Canadian crowd thinks that having a complete uh, unbroken neck is gay. That, that'd be my guess. <laughs> Your intact spine is gay. That's what that's what Montreal has to say about that. Yeah, that's completely true. <laughs> uh, and then uh, after that match, the WWF plays uh, like this video of like, oh, you say it's not real. I've blah, blah, blah. And like the like Stone Cold says, I damn near broke my neck <laughs> in it. And then Shawn Michaels claims to have suffered over a dozen concussions <laughs> in, <laughs> in hmm. the video. A uh, dozen concussions. I think you're dead. But yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of a don't do this at home kind of video. Yeah. But it's also a... Uh, uh, we're legit real athletes like this stuff can hurt and does hurt. So please stop saying bad things about us. It makes us sad kind of video. 
yeah, the last uh, the last line I think is from Brett, and he says, "You know, try lacing up my boots." And I just, yeah, I was thinking, no, no, really, please do. I can't bend over that far anymore because <laughs> I, I can't. My back is just one big, one big knot of scar tissue. I can't do anything else. Um, so after we've been assured that wrestling is is a hundred percent real, um, and that uh, you would you will probably die, and also that Shawn Michaels has severe head trauma and probably shouldn't be in the ring, it's time to get down to our main event. And I know you're ready. Oh my god! I know yeah. you're excited. Oh my god! Try, try to keep your pants on while we record, would you? I mean. This is like the culmination of my dude's best years of his career <laughs> right here. And he leaves us yeah. with this gem that leaves people talking 25 years later about. It's really a fucking, it's an incredible moment. It's almost like too good to be yeah. real. Yeah. Should I start like a whiteboard and put work <laughs> in one column and shoot in another and then so too good to be real yeah work so yeah let's just let's just start talking uh there like there throughout the entire show there's been uh things that are weird so like they for some reason they talked to vince and sergeant slaughter at one point backstage and it's a young michael cole talking to them asking them about how how they're going to secure the match and then how uh who's gonna win who do they think's gonna win and mcmahon just goes I don't know. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. And I would say throughout the the match itself, McMahon and some of the other guys are kind of hovering around, like looking nervous. Yeah. Honestly. JR and the King are talking weird about the match as well, even though they, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. the whole, they still stick to that, that like McMahon's the only one that knows, even though Sean, I believe has said in his book that, he was clued into how it was going to end. That's interesting because when you watch the end of this thing, when I, when, I don't know, when he grabs the belt and stalks off from the ring, he looks yeah. like legit pissed. Like, like he got screwed out of a proper, uh, a proper win or there, or something happened that he didn't quite like, but maybe, maybe he's just a yeah. really good actor. Or maybe, he had, maybe the head trauma has something to do with it. I don't know. There's a storyline video before this. And one, the, the video, and like, I, under, I understand what the crowd is feeding off of with this homophobia stuff. Because in this video, Shawn Michaels repeatedly is like, I live my lifestyle openly. I am who I am. This is like, yeah. like, it's very like, like if you just played some of those clips for someone, they'd be like, oh, well, that's this you know the main angle is that that guy's gay that's just right that's him that's him coming out and it's not it's just that he's a party boy and that like he (laughs) and brett is this like constant they're kind of like making brett sound like he's a prude and like and like you know he doesn't and he's playing videos of like brett saying that sean doesn't take the business seriously and stuff like that and it's a real blurring between kayfabe and shoot in this storyline uh and then you know you throw in that wcw contract crap and like it's just it's a perfect storm of a storyline yeah so everybody and their mom knows that brett is the champion and is leaving wwf everybody knows that they need to get the belt on the sean somehow how do you get brett to lose in canada stay face stay heel in the u.s preserve the hitman character you screw him over that's what you do that's that's just what you do. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, Brett's not dumb, but at the same time, uh, it's been noted by uh, 
several people, including Jim Cornette, that Brett was not the wrestling historian of the family. Owen was the one that was way into wrestling history and wrestling lore and the, in the respect of the industry, like he was the one that like knows like all of the, like iron cheek and like all the, all the old guys, like Owen Hart was like an encyclopedia. Apparently Brett, not so much. Yeah. I feel like Owen could have clued him in. He's like, man, don't let Sean put you in the sharpshooter. Like that's, that's the move they're going to use clearly. But I mean, if it hadn't been the sharpshooter, it would have been something else. They would have called a near fall as a three count and rang the bell or, they would have done a fast count to uh, disqualify or whatever. Because there's um, there's a lot of there's other things in this match that are like little flags, and we should talk about the match and like the whole whole thing first here. Like uh, you know, like I forgot that Shawn yeah. Michaels was the European champ coming into this match. Yeah. So this was a belt versus belt, and uh, like yeah. Shawn is doing a ton of stuff to make sure he has huge heat with his audience. He's rubbing the Canadian flag on his crotch. He's picking his nose with the flag. He's, he stops uh, fighting at one point and just like yells at the yeah, fans he's in the front row. talking shit to them like no. it's an indie show at a fire hall. Like, And you can see like security like sneaking down ringside and holding some of the fans back because they're, they're ready to jump the barricade to fight him. They're, they're ready. Like there's, there's legit security concerns for Shawn Michaels uh, from the fans, especially when they go before the match can even start, they get into a fight. That's a huge brawl on the outside. And this is actually when I think clue real big clue. Number one happens. So they're having this brawl outside. They go all the way down to the entrance ramp. They go into the crowd. They're beating the living shit out of each other. It is, it is one of the best hot start brawls of a match ever. Like I think the official time of this match is yeah. probably like two minutes because the 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 majority of the time spent is before the bell and they're just beating the crap out of each other. But clue number one is that when these scrums happen, Vince McMahon does not come out. It's Sergeant Slaughter, it's Pat Patterson, it's Jerry Jerry and Jack Briscoe, you know, it's it's uh you know, it's Rene Rougeau. And like, just, just all the, it's the, the standard crew that you see, but this time Vince is out there and Vince comes and just starts screaming at them, get in the ring, get in the ring. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's clue. Number one, the something fishies up is when Vince is getting involved in breaking up a scrum like this. And there's some great moments in the scrum too. Like Sean punches Pat Patterson right in the face, sends him down. (laughs) <laughs> Brett punches uh Brett punches uh Tim White and another ref like they're beating the shit out of everybody around them too for trying to break them up. It's so good. Yeah. It's violent. Uh yeah, and um yeah, so Brett has the upper hand for the first kind of two things where they like just dump into the yeah. uh, into the crowd and fight into the crowd. I was legit concerned like there's I, I was a little scared. There's um anyway, and then they sort of get a little reversal and, and Sean gets the upper hand and they get, get back into the crowd. You know, Sean case takes a couple of body drops over the railing, over the guardrail, um, like a couple of yeah. tough ones too. And then, uh, the fans are getting into it to the point to where they're throwing weapons to Brett. Like, uh, one <laughs> fan throws Brett, a a Quebec flag and, uh, and, uh, uses it to choke Sean after the match has started. So here's clue number two. Brett is openly choking Shawn Michaels with a flag in the ring and Earl Hebner isn't even counting on it. 
He's just watching mm-hmm. it happen. And the bell is wrong. The match has started. Yeah. They're waiting. They're waiting for the actual right. finish, right? It's like everything else is uh, secondary because they know what's right. coming and up. And then they, they go outside of the ring and like Sean spits on the fans. <laughs> he spits on the fans and then he breaks Brett's flagpole and starts beating Brett with the broken flagpole and the ref does nothing, nothing. And the ref is just following them outside. He's not even counting for a count out or anything like that. So something really fishy is up now. Cause if Earl Hebner supposedly, you know, you know, had told Brett that he wasn't going to screw him. He wasn't going to be a participant in it. Earl could have stopped it and disqualified Sean 10 times before they got to this finish easily. Like, Oh, and then let chaos unfold after that. Then eventually, finally there's a rest hold. Oh my God. Like finally (laughs) Sean has Brett in a front headlock laying on the mat. Like it's finally like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. He could finally start to breathe. And then, uh, but eventually Brett gets, uh, Sean in the classic figure four around the ring post on the outside of the ring, which God, that looks horribly painful. Yeah. Yeah. And he just keeps going to work on that knee of Sean's. It's working on it, working on it, working on it. It's fucking awesome. He gets into the, uh, I don't know. I'm not trying to jump ahead, but he, he goes into his five moves of doom. You know, he's, uh, the bulldog, the second rope, the Russian side, Russian leg sweep, the backbreaker, uh, all that shit. That's man. I, and I love that stuff so much. That's, that's one of the greatest things about Brett for me is that yeah. sequence. Um, and I know it's like, it's like, um, I don't know. It's like a coda in music that's, that is familiar, yeah. you know? And you, it's like, it's like coming home to rest. And you're like, Oh yeah, here we go. Yeah, I, I know, I know how this goes. I know where this goes yeah, from and here. It you flows know? beautifully. All the moves flow together. And he does them close to perfectly every time. Like there's the the snap suplex, the elbow from the second rope, the Russian leg sweep, the figure four. Like it all it all looks so good. Like um, Flair had had an amazing figure four lock and how he executed it. But we cannot discount how good Brett's figure four looked and. And Sean sells the hell out of it to the point where you can see inside of his mouth and see that his partial is loose and floating around in his mouth. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, Hebner's not really doing much. He's occasionally asking Sean if he wants to quit, even though Sean is screaming. So Hebner knows something is up. Hebner knows, you know, he's he's about to be the center of whatever fuckery is about to happen. Because, <laughs> I mean, Sean is in that in that figure four for a very long time, but it doesn't end the match. And that's a, that's another mm-hmm. point to where Hebner could have saved Brett. Yeah. He could have uh, rung the bell early for him. You know, they get out of, they get out of that and, and Brett lands at suplex and like, uh, Sean uses the, the ref as a shield f- for the famous, uh, second rope elbow shot. And then Sean slaps that sharpshooter on Brett and, Earl points at the bell immediately, immediately tells, tells him to ring the bell, ring the bell, ring. You can hear him screaming, ring the bell, ring the bell. And he gets the fuck out of there. (laughs) Yeah. That, you know, it's, it's crazy. Like watching him slap that sharpshooter on. It's like, you can, you can just see it. Right. And it's so familiar to this point, you know, and to, you know, wrestling nerds have seen it. Uh, roughly 900 times you know? <laughs> um and you you just i don't know it's like it's still a little bit um 
it's still a little bit surreal when you see it happen, you know? Um, and there's something, I just, there's something like that's so compelling about it. I can't, can't quite it's, put my finger on. It's fantastic. And like, so you can tell during the match, uh, that Lawler and Ross really aren't clued in on it. You can hear Lawler and Ross both repeatedly wondering why a disqualification hasn't happened. And I think that's because if you if you watch that wrestling with shadows, they have audio in that documentary of Vince McMahon agreeing with Brett saying the match will end with a disqualification and then you'll surrender the belt on Monday Night Raw the next night. Yeah. Uh, so Lawler and Ross repeatedly in the action are looking for a disqualification and the disqualification. But though, I think spot was supposed to be like a scrum, like Triple H and China come down and, and get their nose in the business. Well, that's what um, that's what Brett suggests on that right. video. You know, he's like, oh, you know, we can have a sh- we can have a schmoz or whatever. I think right. that's what he says. Pat Patterson um, says, yeah, that's a, that's a good ending for this match. Um, yeah, which I, I agree. I think it would have been. Yeah. So, you know, as far as, you know, stuff is that like uh, Brett's character is already angry and untrusting of Vince and Sean coming into this match. Both of them had done things that should have been blatant disqualifications. Brett choking Sean, Sean choking Brett, Sean using a broken flagpole. Sean is being extra heelish in this match, too. Like, he's he's an asshole. He's normally an asshole in the ring. You know, uh, gloating, celebrating, you know, a bit of a showboat. But he's literally, like, engaging one-on-one with fans, talking shit to them. But, you know, also at the same time, the broadcast team doesn't seem caught off by the abruptness of the finish. Yeah, well, you can hear him kind of sort of ask, you know, asking what right. happened, right? Like, but right. Otherwise, they're they're not particularly, I don't know, not like, not like, not quite as uh, shocked maybe as you, as you think they would be. Yeah. And then, and through the Wrestling with Shadows documentary, Brett is suspicious of how they're going to end this match. The entire the entire documentary yeah. is basically him being like, I don't trust what Fence is going to do and what Sean's going to do at the end of this match. I don't trust it. I don't trust it. And again, how did they know to film a documentary at this compelling moment <laughs> of not just Bret Hart's career, but of wrestling history? Mm. And so because yeah. like the famous video of Bret Hart signing WCW to the hard cam is not from the survivor series footage it is from footage shot by this documentary right so the documentary has a camera in the hard cam area the film the film this and uh that's insane that this would be captured <laughs> in such in in so many ways mm-hmm. that that really that's the one that really eats at me is is how does how do they know how did they know this was the right time to film a documentary. You know, that's almost yeah. like, oh, we're going to film a documentary about uh, the World Trade Center construction and day-to-day office life in the World Trade Center <laughs> on 9-11. 9-11, yeah. You know, that's, that's, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's a, little, it's a little too coincidental for me with, with how professional wrestling is. Yeah. You know, so I Brett agree. sees it coming. Brett, you know, and then... If, if anything, Brett at least sees it coming if he's not in on it. Uh, there's uh, Brett also has, he mentions this in the documentary, that he has reasonable creative control over his character in the last 30 days of his contract. 
So why did he right. not sue Vince after this for breach of contract? Because Vince clearly ignored and broke a vocal agreement to how, how everything will play out. Why not sue him? I mean, maybe, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, maybe it's, there's a good chance he just wanted to be away from it, right? Just be, just be done. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. If you want to get really conspiracy theory in it, if you, if you watch, uh, Brett sits in that sharpshooter a little long before attempting to reverse it as he claims was the finish. So the, the, the finish supposedly was that Brett was going to reverse that sharpshooter. And then before Sean could tap out, that's when Triple H and China would run in and beat the crap out of him. Has a have a schmaz as he as he calls it. So, uh, so end of the day, you have to you have to pick a side, and work or shoot. Um, where do you where do you, you've watched it probably more than <laughs> anybody I know um, on slow motion and in in uh, rewind and et cetera. Where, where do you uh, where do you come down? Well. You know, it's hard to pull this off to look so authentic uh, if it's a work. It'd be almost nearly impossible to pull off the authenticity that this appears to have. But if anyone was to pull it off to make it look this authentic, it's going to be Brett the Hitman Hart. Because Brett, Brett's promos always felt real. It was very hard to distinguish his Hitman character from his individual persona. The thing that also crawls at me is that at the very end of the documentary, the Wrestling with Shadows documentary, the very last line is, the screw job was a fitting end to the Hitman character in the WWF. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, really? Just how fitting, right? <laughs> also, you said character. Right. So. But at the same time, the documentary is the reason why we know that Bret Hart went into Vince's office and knocked him out. And cause you see Brett says that he did. And then a few minutes later, you actually see Vince walking very stumbly down the hallway. Like he just been clocked. Yeah, and then, looking, looking right. And dazed. then in the, in the interview that he does on the next Monday night raw, where he says, Brett screwed Brett, Vince has a black eye, yeah. you know, but you only know that that came from Brett because of the documentary. And so I feel like that is actually the biggest thing. So if, if Brett punching Vince had been also worked into the storyline and the aftermath of the screw job, I would say that was probably a complete work at this point. I'm saying that it's, it was a work by Sean and Vince and Brett didn't know. So it was a shoot to Brett and a work to everybody else. Mm. That makes sense. Well, I mean, and what, what ends up happening is that, that whole moment, uh, this is maybe another argument in, in favor of it being uh, work, is that that whole moment sort of gives birth to the Mr. McMahon character, the evil uh, CEO, right? The guy who's right. out to not just manage the company, but screw over some of his best talent. And of course, most famously, uh, the feud with Stone Cold turning into some of the most compelling and best rated money drawing TV that the WWF ever did. Um, and like without that uh, screw job moment, you don't have, I mean, you maybe could have manufactured something, um, but it's hard to think of a character or, or a performer more beloved than Brett to whom that kind of betrayal would have generated that kind of response and that kind of heat. You know what I mean? Like he could have, he could have screwed over whatever Davy boy Smith or something. And fans would have been like, Oh boo. But like 
the the total betrayal of of Brett, who you know for many people is the epitome of uh, WWF at this time and the epitome of what it means to be a, a superstar professional wrestler, um, and then the kind of leaning into it after the fact and continuing the feud with the next guy in line, Stone Cold, is really what made made them their money. You know, the other thing that like makes that that pushes pushes it for me like right down the line is just that knowing Brett and his work, he would never surrender whether he knew this was happening to protect the industry and to protect the story because you're right. This moment is the birth of the attitude era. This is it. This is the hard stop of the next generation and is the birth of the attitude era and the cursing and the, can't trust anybody <laughs> the screw stone cold steve austin like it's uh you got the rock coming you know and you got vince mcmahon super evil dick vince mcmahon mr mcmahon just like screwing everybody over looking for any way to get himself ahead of everybody else to make sure that everybody knows that he's top dog and if it came out that brett also knew that this was a work that Brett knew that this was how the screw that the screw job was going to happen. All that would get lost all of like that whole concept. And so, you know, that's probably the reason why we still talk about it now, because it would completely destroy the magic of the moment. If Brett suddenly said, yeah, I knew this was, I knew this, I knew this was the plan the whole time. That's why I had a documentary following me. That's why, you know, you know, I went to the point of punching Vince in the face and spitting on him and why and like Sean played up being angry about the finish that he was lied to. And then he lied. And then like I made sure that they filmed him telling me that he didn't know. I swear to God, I didn't know that's what how this was going to happen. You know, the extra emotion of of having like of the crowd scene, Brett's son carrying the Canadian flag out to the entryway for him, you know, like the whole thing, if it came out, Brett goes, yeah, of course I knew this. All of it's ruined. Well, and, and like, not to, it's not necessarily an indictment of Brett, but he's, he's dined out on that story for 25 years. You know, it's, it's a major part of his autobiography, which I really enjoyed. It's a major part of every interview he's done since then. It's a major part of his, aggrieved uh character who is you know too pure for the dirty wrestling industry like the whole exactly the whole thing right like it's it's his whole not his whole image at this point but it's a significant part of his image when i met him a couple weeks ago i resisted the urge of bringing up this moment yeah i just because you know it's because what what am i going to get from him of course i didn't know that was going to happen it's a screw job you know even though like like Jim Cornette is on record saying that everybody involved knew exactly what was happening, that this was this, how it was done in the business. If the champion was leaving the company the next day, because that happens all the time, that's, this is what you do. This is how it works. This is how, this is what the business does. And Brett knew that this Mm -hmm. was coming. He was part of the story planning of it. But if Brett actually admits to that, the mystique of it goes away. The attitude era is discredited. Like it, it's a whole row of dominoes that just collapses, not just for Brett's legacy, but for WWF's legacy. Like it just, 
it loses something if like we just know that it was all work just to make Vince McMahon a heel. Yeah, for sure. You know, obviously a, a super important moment where um, I'm really glad that we went back and watched it, but still, you know, one of the one of the high watermarks for professional wrestling, the 90s professional wrestling and all of professional wrestling that follows. And of course, a key moment in the uh, in the legend, the story, uh, the myth of, of one of our all time favorites. If everybody knew that Hulk Hogan was leaving WWF at a certain point and he was champion, do you pull this shit on him? You know, <laughs> but it works better yeah. with Brett because Brett was such a serious guy. His character was right. serious. He took it serious. And so that seriousness was turned into a virtue with the fans. And so Brett is absolutely right at the end of wrestling with shadows to where the screw job is a fitting into the hitman character. I mean, I, if I had my, uh, my druthers, um, I wish that it hadn't happened. I wish that Brett had been able to stay and make the kind of money that he wanted to in the WWF. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have gone to WCW and gotten hurt by Goldberg had his career basically ended. So, you know, all things being equal, that's sort of how I wish things had gone. But, you know, whatever. It's not much you can do about it. But it's such a great moment to have. As it is, it's a really fucking great moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I gotta say. It doesn't get so. much better for, uh, than that for a wrestling fan, to be honest with you. Like, it doesn't. And then as a Bret Hart fan, too, like, you hate to see your man go through something like that. Oh, my God, that's horrible. You can't, you can't help but like get emotionally connected and sucked in and you know and like i watched this pay-per-view twice in preparation for this plus i watched the documentary um and then <laughs> but this was probably like the fifth or sixth time watching it and i also watched it when it first happened and every single time i'm just like oh my god they pulled that off <laughs> my god wow at the end of every episode, we'd just like to take a moment to pay tribute to the men and women we've seen who are no longer with us. So our in-memoriam section for the 1997 Survivor Series from Montreal includes referee Timmy White, Crush, the British Bulldog, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, Doug Furness, Big Van Vader, Paul Bearer, the Road Warriors Hawk and Animal, Rick Rude, and China, and of course, Owen Hart. So thanks again for joining us, everybody. We really appreciate it. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening. We hope you uh, check us out on alltherestlemanias.com. Find us on Twitter at WrestlemaniaPod. Shoot us an email at alltherestlemanias at gmail.com. Find our Instagram or our Facebook pages at alltherestlemanias. We're easy enough to locate. Uh, we'd love to hear your comments, your questions, your observations. Tell us whether you think the Montreal Screwjob was a, a shoot or a work. Uh, we won't judge you. Um, we, uh, we love to interact with the listeners whenever we get the chance. So for now, we're going to say thanks again. And I am Tim. And I'm Rich. And we'll see you again soon. Bye.